Well, everyone knows the story of Cinderella. Cinderella's mother uh, died. Her father got remarried, and he married uh, a woman who turned out to be exceedingly evil. And not only that, she had two stepdaughters who turned out to be co-conspirators against Cinderella. And so Cinderella was, was in a terrible mess. Now, Cinderella's stepmother was supposed to be in a, a motherly role for uh, Cinderella. But did she have her best interest at heart? Was she looking out for her? Well, the answer to that is clear. She was not. Now, for those of us who know the Lord and who belong to him, does God have our best interests at heart? Is he looking out for us? That's a, a question that people ask sometimes. And there are those who suggest that God is, is not really for us, but that he's against us, that, he, that he's more like Cinderella's stepmother. And there are others who suggest that God is indifferent, that he just really doesn't care. Well, what does the testimony of Scripture tell us? Well, as we continue our study on prayer in Matthew chapter 6, as we look at the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer, we're going to see that God cares for us, that he cares for his children deeply. And, and that affects the way that we pray. So as we, as we look at this passage, we see that Jesus calls his disciples to pray with sincerity because of who God is. They should pray with sincerity because of who God is. Let's look at Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8 together. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. In this passage, we see two ideas to help us approach God with sincerity. First, if you want to sincerely seek God, don't try to manipulate him through your prayers. Don't try to manipulate God through your prayers. And verse 7, again, Jesus says, when you pray. Now, we've seen this phrase uh, throughout this prayer already because Jesus expects that those who are his followers are going to be people of prayer. We're going to be people who, who pray together and, uh, and, and who go to the Lord and in private times of, of seeking him. That, that's an expectation to be a follower of God is to be a person of prayer. But he says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. And here when he's talking about the Gentiles, he's just meaning anyone who's not a follower of God. Because we know from other passages of Scripture that at times the Jews thought that they could gain favor with God by praying long, long, endless prayers. So basically, Jesus is saying, don't pray like people who don't know God, pray. Don't, don't be like that. Don't pray like that. They, they pray with a bunch of empty phrases. Now, some of the Gentiles or some of those who, who didn't know God would, would, would think, if I just keep talking and keep talking and keep talking, then eventually I'm going to sort of twist God's arm and he's going to have to do, or I'm going to twist the, the, the arms of the gods and they're going to have to follow through and do what I'm asking. So it was this idea of if I say enough, then finally they'll act. Um, or some of the Gentiles would almost like a magical spell. If they could say the right incantation, then the gods would act. And so Jesus is saying, don't be like that. Don't think that when you go to God in prayer, it's you trying to, to, to trick God or sweet talk God or anything else out of something. 
Don't go on in endless prayers thinking you'll twist his arm. Don't pray like that. He says they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. They think that God's going to answer just because they, they have all of these words or they say these empty phrases. But Jesus says that's not how prayer works. Now let's think about this for a minute. Is Jesus forbidding long prayers? Well, he's not. We know that because... Uh, in, in Luke six twelve, for example, Jesus prayed all night. So it's not wrong to pray long prayers. And he's not forbidding repetitious prayers. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before he faced the cross, he repeated himself in prayer. So it's all right to, to repeat yourself in prayer if what you're praying is heartfelt, if what you're praying means something, is sincere. Jesus isn't forbidding persistence in prayer. Consider Luke 18, 1 through 8. Jesus taught this parable. He said in Luke 18, verse 1, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So here we see in this parable that Jesus told, there's an important, it's important to pray persistently and, and to go to God regularly. But we shouldn't think that if we are persistent in our prayers or that we pray long prayers, somehow we can manipulate or control God. We, we can't do that. The question is, are we praying with sincerity, with a willing heart before the Lord, a heart that's willing to submit to him? So let's take a moment and, and consider what Jesus really is prohibiting here. There's a good example in the Old Testament. You remember the prophet Elijah was in a standoff with the false prophets of Baal. And they were uh, trying to call down the gods or the, uh, the god Baal to rain fire down on this altar. And let's look at 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 26. And these prophets... Uh, of, of Baal, they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he's a God. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their customs with swords and lances until the blood gushed upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. You see, these false prophets weren't really seeking God and his glory. They were seeking to control the God by all. They were seeking to try to twist his arm, to cajole him into acting or to talk him into acting. And so as the, the day wore on and, and nothing happened and the altar remained uh, without fire, they, they began to become more frantic and say more words and, and they were trying to move Baal into acting. And Jesus is saying, here, you, 
You can't do that. It, it doesn't work like that. Of course, nothing happened. These were false prophets. But this is a picture of the kind of empty words that Jesus forbids. Jesus is teaching that praying a long time or repeating words over and over isn't necessarily going to gain you anything. And it's not if your heart is not right. He's teaching that prayer is not about controlling God or badgering him into acting. No, we can't manipulate God. So prayer must never be an attempt to control him or to make him act. You'd have a better chance of lifting the Empire State Building than you would of trying to make God act based on what you've said. I can remember when I was in junior high, um, sixth grade, I was trying to, to be cool. There was a certain girl that I, that I really had my eyes on and, and she didn't really seem to have much interest in me. And so I began to try to show off or, or be extra cool in front of her. And it didn't work. It didn't work at all. And that's a good thing because I'm thankful for my wife and all of those things. But I want you to know, I want you to know, we can't try to put on some kind of a show or say some kind of words that's going to make God suddenly go, oh, I get it. I'm going to do exactly what you say. It's not like that. We don't come to God with that perspective. So as we think through what this means in our lives, don't see prayer as a means of controlling God or sweet-talking him into doing this or that. Don't view prayer like that. Don't think if I say just the right words. No, what God is interested in is the right heart. Don't say if I say, well, just enough words. If I keep on and on and on and on and I'll say these words over and over again. No, what God is interested in is sincerity. Whether the words be few or whether the words be many. We can't control God and we should not try. As we think through what this means next, be suspicious of any religion or group that encourages this kind of repetitive prayers or babbling to gain favor with God or influence him. You know, there, there, are, there are groups that say, well, if you'll say this prayer over and over and over again, then that'll gain God's favor. Say this prayer so many times and, and that'll get you God's favor. Listen, that's not what Scripture's teaching here. It's not what Scripture's teaching. In fact, uh, when you, you look at the world religions, uh, some Buddhists will spin prayer wheels and they'll, they'll write a prayer and put it on this wheel. And they believe that every revolution means that a prayer is uttered up to God or up to their deity. Uh, some in Hinduism will repeat the syllable, um, over and over and over again in a sort of prayer mantra, thinking that somehow that's going to gain them favor. But what does Jesus say here? No, it's not like that. It's just not like that. Even within Christianity, there are some within, uh, within the realm of, of Christianity or those who consider themselves Christians who kind, of, who kind of go off path here. And what I'm about to say, please know that I'm trying to, to say what I'm going to say in a way that, that's loving and kind. Um, everything that I say, I want to be faithful to the book. Uh, if... I'm being faithful to the book, then please know that's my heart. It's, 
it's to be faithful to the book. So I'm, I'm going to talk about a few things going on within, within Christianity itself that I think are very troubling and I think that are outside of Scripture. But please don't hear me trying to, to, be, to be mean. Please don't hear me trying to harm anyone. I'm trying to protect us and keep us committed to the Word. And if what I'm saying is questionable to you, study the Word and see if, if I'm right or wrong. If you have questions about it, feel free to talk with me about it. I want us to be a people who are committed to the Word of God and to put everything else to the side. So within Christianity, there's a movement that, that's called contemplative prayer. And this often begins with a centering prayer in which a word is repeated over and over again. And eyes are closed and there's this preparation to gain some kind of new revelation from God. Listen, that's dangerous. That's not prayer. That's not prayer at all. The scriptures tell us what prayer is. That's not prayer. Um, within Christianity, there's, there's a movement called IHOP, or the International House of Prayer. And, and this movement uh, will often use prayers kind of like this to sort of to get things started or to get things moving. It's, it's something we need to be careful of. It's something we need to be weary of. There's also, within Christianity, the, the Word of Faith movement. And these folks who, who teach uh, Word of Faith teachings, a lot of the things that they preach are are good, and a lot of them are really great preachers. They're compelling and charismatic and, and such as that. But some of what they say is false teaching, and some of it is incredibly dangerous. Um, I'll give you uh, an example. Again, please know that my heart here is not to hurt you. If you, have, if you feel like I'm being unfair, please talk with me about this. My, my hope is that we stay committed to the Word of God, and that will protect us. That will keep us from getting off base uh, one of the, the uh, Word of Faith teachers, uh, Joel Osteen, has written this. God has already done everything he's going to do. The ball is now in your court. If you want success, if you want wisdom, if you want to be prosperous and healthy, you're going to have to do more than meditate and believe. You must boldly declare words of faith and victory over yourself and your family. What is the Word of Faith movement Teach. It teaches that if you pray the right words and you speak the right words with enough faith, then God has to act. And what you see is something more like voodoo, where the natural, that's you and me, try to manipulate the supernatural God by our words. That's not what Scripture teaches, and that's not what Jesus is teaching here. Don't go on babbling a bunch of empty phrases. You can't control God. You can't do it. Um, other prosperity preachers, and there are a lot of them, are preaching the very same thing. Joy- Joyce Myers preaches the very same thing. T.D. Jakes, Paula White, Joseph Prince. The list could go on and on and on. Folks, I'm pleading with you. Let's look at the book. Let's read the book. I know so much of what they has to say is so encouraging and uplifting and positive. But brothers and sisters... If we walk away from what the clear teaching of Scripture is, we're going on a dangerous path. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. This kind of notion that if we say the right words, we can make God act is crazy. And it's opposite of what Jesus is teaching here. So we've seen what not to do. Don't seek to manipulate God through your words. But if you want to sincerely seek God, approach Him realizing that he already knows your needs and that he loves you. Approach him realizing that he already knows your needs and he loves you. So in verse 8, Jesus says, don't be like them. Don't, don't do that. 
But instead, recognize that your Father knows what you need before you even ask. Now, throughout this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, we see this emphasis on God being our Father. And again, what this is suggesting is that God cares for us, that He loves us. Imagine the the best and most incredible attributes in a dad. God is that and more. He's that and more. He, He cares for us. He loves us. So Jesus says, recognize that your father already knows what you need. He already knows. So when you come to pray to him, don't think that you're trying to give him new information. You're not going to give him any new information. He already knows. Don't think that you've got to try to to twist his arm and, and, and cajole him or push him into acting. No, he's your father. He has your best interest at heart. Recognize this. Realize this. Now, it's clear that we need to bring our needs to God. The scriptures affirm that. James 4, 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. So we do need to come to God, and we do do need to bring our our burdens to him. Matthew 7, 7 and 8, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Matthew 7, 11 Jesus said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So if we pray sincerely with a recognition that God is our Father, that he knows our needs, and we come to him and bring our needs to him in that way, we'll approach him in the right way. We'll approach him in the right way. We're not meeting with a God who doesn't really know us and a God who doesn't really care about us and we've got this one chance to make our case and we better spit out all the words just right hoping we can make our case. He's not that kind of God. No, we go to him in prayer recognizing that he already knows and that he loves deeply. And that's how we come to God in prayer. Not to trick him into hearing our case or to ruling in our favor, but to know him and to bring our needs to him, and to trust him. So if we pray sincerely with the recognition that God loves us, that he's our father, then God always answers our prayers. Sometimes he answers differently than we hope. But I want you to know, if you belong to God, if you are his child, he always only answers your prayers in a better way. Now some of you are going, wait a minute, that doesn't, that's just... You can say that, preacher, but you haven't lived this way. You haven't experienced what I've experienced. Look at the testimony of Scripture. If God does not answer your prayers in the way that you hoped and you belong to him, the clear testimony of Scripture is that he always has your best interest at heart. And so if he doesn't answer your prayer in the way that you hope, he's, he's doing a work in your life. Maybe, maybe we can't see it or understand it all. We often can't, but we must trust. What's Jesus teaching here? He's the father, the good father, the father who knows and cares and loves. So why pray? Because God works through our prayers to accomplish his purposes. God calls us to pray so that we can know him more deeply, so that we can be close to him and and share our burdens with him and have fellowship with him. But sincere prayer is a prayer that seeks to submit to God and to his will, not to control him. It seeks to submit to his will, even if it is different than our own. This is a little bit like 
having your mom work at the school where you go. Uh, If you're in elementary school and your mom works at that school, if you do anything, your mom already knows, right? And and she's going to get a hold of you because you can't hide anything from her. And in a sense, but it's in a good way, God already knows. We can't try to hide anything from him or, or try to push him to do something. We just need to recognize that, that he already knows and that he has our best interests at heart. Just like a mom would who, who was trying to uh, protect her kid and, and help her kid go in the right direction. So what does this mean in our lives? Recognize that it is a father who loves you and who knows your needs when you go to him in prayer. Recognize that he loves you and he knows your needs. If you belong to him, these things are true for you. So prayer isn't giving him information that he doesn't already have, but it's more like talking to a dad who loves you passionately and who really does know what's best for you. So approach him with a heart of sincerity. Next, desire to submit to God's will even if it is different than what you're praying for. Want his will above what you perceive to be best. You see, Paul, the apostle Paul, spoke of a thorn in his flesh. Now, this thorn might have been a health issue or it might have been something else. We don't know for sure what that thorn in Paul's flesh was. But what we do know is that Paul prayed that God would remove it. Let's look together at 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 and 8. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But God didn't remove the thorn. Instead, he told Paul that his grace was sufficient. That his grace was sufficient. So if God doesn't answer our prayers in the way that we hope, it's because as a father who loves us, he has a better plan for us. These things don't make sense to us sometimes. I'm not saying that everything that happens to us is good. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that even when the bad things happen, a good God works in the midst of them for our good if we belong to him. Paul realized that this thorn in the flesh served a purpose in his life. For, for Paul, in his situation, it kept him from becoming arrogant. God used the Apostle Paul in a major way to, to see Christianity spread and, and to see the Gentiles or the non-Jewish people reached. Uh, he just used him powerfully. Powerfully he used him. And Paul began to see this thorn keeps me from becoming something I don't want to be. Now, I, I don't know your situation I, But I promise you, if you belong to him, no matter the pain, no matter the thorn, no matter the heartache, he has your best interest at heart. He's your father. He knows what you need. So how does an earthly dad interact with his son or with his daughter? Well, an earthly dad doesn't always always give his kids what they're, they're asking for. Because truthfully, they're often asking for something that's not good for them. Something that isn't right. 
Even though they, they believe it would be, even though they, they're sure of it. Dad, can I have another piece of candy? Dad, can I go to this person's house? And you can just think as they get older, the questions become more complex. And sometimes your answer is no, no, son. No, sweetheart. I can't let you do that. And this child can become so frustrated and angry. Dad, why? Why won't you let me go? Why won't you let everyone else And this young person can't understand. Makes no sense. Makes no sense whatsoever. But the dad is saying in his heart, because I love you, because I'm trying to protect you, because I want what's best for you. That's why. And so why does God sometimes say no to the prayers that we pray with all of our hearts? We can't always answer that, but we can say without a doubt that if we belong to God, love, he loves us and he will be looking out for us and he will strive and he will give us what is best. Again, I'm not telling you that all the dots will connect. Our, our view is limited, just like a, a teenager's view might be limited when, when, when he asked to do that or when she asked to do this. But Jesus is clear here. He's your God who loves you. He's your Father who knows what you need. So how do we approach God in prayer? We approach him with the realization that he's that kind of God. That he's that kind of God. And so we approach him with sincerity. We approach him with submission. So let's not try to manipulate God. Let's not try to control him with our prayers. And if you're praying prayers that don't seem to be answered, I want to tell you, don't lose heart. If he isn't answering the way that you hope, if you belong to him, he loves you. Keep talking to him. Keep bringing your burdens and your needs to him. Keep sharing your heart with him. And then trust that as a good father, he's at work. And strive to submit to him. Now, I've been talking this morning to those of you who belong to God, who, who are children of God. But the scriptures are clear. To become a child of God, there has to be a, a time in your life when you make a decision. We're not all automatically children of God. We're all creations of God, but we're not all children of God. The way that you become a child of God is there has to be a point in your life where you say to God, I've gone my own way and I don't want to do that anymore. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and I believe, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he left heaven, came to earth, died on the cross, was buried, was raised again and I want to follow him. And the Bible tells us that if you call on the name of the Lord in faith, turning from your sin, that he'll save you. That he'll give you eternal life that you can know one day you'll live forever in heaven. The Bible tells us that he becomes your father. And he's a father who, while you live here on earth, is for you, who wants to hear your prayers, who wants you to commune and have fellowship with him. And he's a father who eternally will bring you into uh, a heavenly family where you never die, where the brokenness and the pain of this earth 
that we often bring before him in our prayers where all that, every bit of it's gone. It'll be glorious. So I ask you this morning, if you're here, are you a true child of God? There's no in-between. Sometimes we think, well, if I, I'm a pretty good person and so one of these days, if, if I, you know, when I die, when my time comes, God will look at me and go, you were pretty good. High five, come on in. Oh, friend, it does not work like that. The scriptures are clear. The only way to become a child of God are to call out to him in faith, turn from your sin, and believe. And when you do that, when you do that, you really do become a child of God. Join me in prayer.